Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank? The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. It's all about panoramic volume and fully fanned out lashes. With its tapered brush, the new Panorama Mascara catches every single lash, giving you the false lash look without any of the hassle. Say goodbye to clumps and flakes, because this mascara is specially formulated to resist them all day with up to 24-hour wear. And the best part? It performs better than Luxe mascaras at only a fraction of the cost. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dishing with Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, Editorial Director, here with Mara Levinsky, Senior Editor. Hi, everyone. Well, Mara, we've been on a two-week break, and I'm so happy to be back. So what do we miss in our time away? Well, Emma Sams wrapped her visit as GH's Holly. And sadly, Robert Clary, a Holocaust survivor who played Daisy's Robert Leclerc, among others, died at the age of 96. And also, our Best and Worst issue came out. So for the first time ever, we did not name a show Best Show. You know, it was definitely not an easy decision. Uh, As you are well aware, we discussed it at length, but it was hard to choose between the four soaps on the air. You know, each has its strengths and its weaknesses, and the staff was really divided on which show deserved what would have been the top honor in any other year. Uh, And, you know, ultimately, best is subjective. So really, whatever show our readers and listeners think is best is ultimately what is best. Um, But, you know, it seemed to go over well. I happened to talk to Bold and Beautiful's executive producer, head writer Bradley Bell yesterday. He was thrilled with the issue and the categories that his show got. You know, it was an exciting year for them, as we covered in Best Story, being Finn's death and subsequent resurrection. And, you know, best villain in The Return of Sheila. Yes, I had the pleasure of writing uh, some vests for General Hospital that I suspected would make two very social media active fan bases quite happy. That of Vanna for best couple and Sprina for best non-couple. Fanola Hughes and James Patrick Stewart, who play Valentine and Anna, a.k.a. Vanna, both voiced their appreciation to me for SOD bestowing the best couple honors upon their characters. I actually chatted with Manola just yesterday and she told me how much, you know, the positive response from the fans and from our magazine means to her. Uh, she said that it feels really good and really encouraging to get that kind of feedback. Uh, of course, we also had to bestow some dubious honors with the worst part of the best and worst issue. And I will simply say that I found it cathartic to write some of those and hopefully much if not all of what earned worst titles from us will stay safely in 2022 for example we named austin and maxi on gh as worst couple and lo and behold as of this week it looks like they are on the fast track to splitting up 
Well, we might have been onto something then. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I have to for sure give a shout out to Daisy's head writer, Ron Carlovati, who always has the best sense of humor about his soap getting most preposterous plot every year. You know, Salem exists in its own reality and we give it a lot of rope as a result. But the Stefan Jake switcheroo definitely pushed the boundaries of believability. So as you may recall, Stefan was dead with no heart Yet Rolf was magically able to keep him alive for the good fortune, for Stefan at least, of Jake randomly getting shot and Stefan getting his heart and recovering in record time. Yeah, that's a no for me. Um, (laughs) But Ron and co. did a bang-up job with the conclusion of the double storyline, and who could argue that the comebacks of Christian Alfonso and Peter Reckle as Hope and Bo for Beyond Salem Chapter 2 were the best returns? Certainly not me. Uh, on the YNR front, we named Sharon Case as the biggest waste of talent of the year, pointing out that Ray's death seemed to generate more story for Chelsea than for Sharon, Ray's widow. I am hoping that the connection that seems to be brewing between Sharon and Chance could portend a much bigger storyline year ahead for Sharon. On the more positive side of things, we gave a shout out to the nuptials of Tessa and Mariah as best wedding and to the foregrounding of the Winters family. You know, we always do our our best as a staff to encapsulate the year and its highs and lows as fairly and as accurately as possible. And I think we had a pretty strong list this year, not going to lie. I mean, I couldn't agree more. And I feel that we've gotten some good positive feedback to let us know that we are not, you know, congratulating ourselves here for no reason. (laughs) Um, Well, our guest today played a big role in Chelsea's story. Uh, It's Jason Thompson, who's about to mark seven years as Billy Abbott on the number one show and who was one of our very first guests on the podcast when it started back in 2018. So let's get him on the line and see how everything's going and what's gone on since then. Hi, Jason. Hi, how are you? It is really nice to see you again. Same. It's been too long, I will say that. (laughs) Yeah, it's been a very long time. Hi, Mara. Hello, hello. Uh, Well, Mara and I were talking about how you were one of our first guests, which was back in 2018. So there is a lot to cover since then, but a lot that we didn't cover the first time around. Okay, Um, great. That sounds wonderful. I can't believe it was 2018, actually. I I can't either. (laughs) So, hey, listen, congratulations. That's fantastic. You're, you're, you're doing it. Yeah, we're still going. Thanks. That's amazing. Good for you. It means so much to us coming from a fictional podcaster like yourself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, but I mean, I did my research. I listened to every single one of your podcasts. <laughs> I don't know if you watched that storyline, but you could see yourself in it, couldn't you? <laughs> I, you know, I, I feel so validated now because I felt that when I was watching it, but now to yeah. know that's true. Yeah, you I did a great a job. Super, a super positive Billy through those things. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so anyway, it's an honor. So thank you. Congratulations for, for still doing it. And thank you for having me back. <laughs> thank you. you. Um, I, I'm almost embarrassed for our early podcasts that we didn't ask this, but you're a proud native of Canada and were born in Alberta. So tell us what you were like as a little boy. It's an interesting question because uh, I was just talking about this with um, one of our my makeup um, lady upstairs. She'd probably be embarrassed that I called her a lady, of course. But um, yeah, she, um, we were talking about the kids. She's got a little one as well. And um, how I feel like I'm watching my emotional self, like in, in my son, like, I feel like the things that he is is really inquisitive about feels very similar. The things that challenge him feel very similar to me. So I can only imagine that I was similar to him 
running around. And um, it's interesting having California kids because I was the exact opposite of that. Like right now, we would be on the outdoor rinks every every day as a kid, and and you know doing things like that. And uh, he's in he's in California, but growing up in St. Albert, little town connected to Edmonton, was a wonderful place to grow up. Um, we were outside a lot. I mean, I really wasn't on a plane till I was 18 years old. We camped my almost my entire life from like you know childbirth up until that point with my family, my extended family, everything. So it was a, it was an amazing place to grow up. And then being com- closely connected to Edmonton. Edmonton had enough going on where you could go see great concerts and see some art and some plays and things like that as well, which was really cool because that's where I think some of that kind of came from. Um, And then I had the opportunity to leave. So uh, that's where things changed for me. But even when I was in Edmonton, it was um, I remember growing up there and thinking there's more out there, but it's really great. Like looking back, I feel very grateful to have my young informative years being outside, using my you know imagination, and then as I got older, the opportunity to go do something different. So it was a good place to grow up. Well, your uh, your entree into the entertainment biz kind of kicked off when you were sixteen, working in a restaurant, and discovered as a model. Did you did you have aspirations of being in the arts or becoming an actor prior to that? I mean, quiet ones, yes. Like I wasn't, uh, I wasn't doing plays when I was a kid and stuff like that. It really wasn't. But music was one of those things that I really, really loved. You know, growing up, I listened to. There was a lot of music around in the house. Um, my dad played some guitar. We had we had friends that played guitar around the house. I was in a band in high school, and uh, I really enjoyed the writing process of making music and stuff. And then, and then I just kind of got into drama class in high school, and then it kind of took a different a different kind of twist on on the emotional life that was that I felt like I was inside of me. It was a way to kind of explore it, um, which was great. And then modeling was really another extended opportunity of that. But I knew after a short a short time that it was my opportunity to get out too, um, and not only get out in a bad way, but in a positive way because I knew that if I if I could get out of Canada and go do my thing for a couple of years, I would learn a lot. Who knows where it would take me? Hopefully, I can get to America and get a visa. And that was my way to get a visa. Really, the modeling stuff was a way to me to get legally to America so I could then get into acting class and then be there and not have to go back and forth for pilot seasons and everything else to learn to live in L.A. So, yeah, that all started at 16 years old when I was busting tables. Wow. With a guy named uh, Kelly Strait. He was the one that found me. And he found a couple other really great Canadian people and models over the over the years. And so he came with a, a reputation. And so I, you know, I saw all of that as an opportunity, really. Well, what did you enjoy and not enjoy about modeling as a career? The same things I really don't like now is really being in front of the camera. <laughs> like <laughs> most of the other things about the modeling business was was amazing. You know, I was living in crazy countries and cities and going on awesome jobs, meeting new people, having a different roommate once a week from a different place in the world. Um, you know, it was really, really fun. But I do, I'm not the most comfortable in front of a still camera, um, unless there's something to it. I, it's still a little bit uncomfortable for me to be myself in front of the camera, I guess. And that was modeling in a way I had to kind of look at it differently, but I wasn't very successful at it. Like a lot of people are really, really good at it. I wasn't great at it. Um, I did enough to kind of, you know, keep my head above water and continue to do it. But um, but it's probably the same thing now. It still feels uncomfortable sometimes just being myself in front of the camera. It's easier to be a character. Mm -hmm. Well, tell us about how you went about making 
the transition from model to actor? Like, how do you know how to do that? Um, I, uh, so when I first got to LA, obviously I was doing some modeling jobs when I, when I got here. And then, um, I went out on a couple commercial auditions and, um, and a couple theatrical auditions through the modeling agency. And one of the, one of the beautiful gentlemen that were working in the commercial division kind of pulled me aside one day and said, Hey, I think you need to get an, an, an agent and, you know, get into class. You, you know, you're doing well on these auditions and you've never done it before. So you need to kind of, you know, follow this a little bit. And I was like, amazing. Thank you so much. And so he sent me over to Gersh, uh, a gentleman called uh, Chuck James, his name is, and he was really my first agent at Gersh. And I was in some great hands in the beginning for a while. And so transitioning out of the modeling stuff, that modeling was there was two things. Every once in a while when I would get a job, that would help pay for the apartment. And then I had other friends that I would work with, like my friend Brian, who was really starting to hone his craft as a photographer and move into that world as like a working photographer. I was assisting him for many, many years. And and that was kind of cash under the table kind of thing to put gas in the car in order to go to auditions. So it was a long process. Um, that was many, many years. Um, and then, you know, you do a couple of pilots here and there. And then I auditioned for Patrick Drake and, and that, you know, changed my life. So um, here we are. I mean, I guess 17 years ago last week was that that anniversary. So, you know, um, I guess ever evolving, really. But it's interesting to think about. Mm -hmm. Well, it's funny because we are talking to you in between your two your two daytime anniversaries. So December 7th, as you mentioned, marked the 17th anniversary of your daytime debut as Patrick Drake on General Hospital, and on January 13th, 2023, you will mark seven years in the role of Billy Abbott on Young and the Restless. But uh, let's go back to 2005. Tell us the story about getting cast on GH. Yeah, I um, <clears throat> I remember uh, I was living in Venice at the time. And um, no, I was living, actually, that was a different. I was living, ah, I was living with my friend, crashing with her for a couple of weeks, actually. I didn't actually have an apartment at that point. I remember that, yeah. Uh, and then my parents were in town. Um, they just happened to be here. And um, I went and got an audition to go meet Mark Teschner over at General Hospital. I'd read with him roughly. Soaps weren't really on my radar. It wasn't something I was looking to really do. Um, but I walked in and I read and Jill Farron Phelps, who was the executive producer at the time, she was in the room with Teschner. And I was the first person to ever read for Patrick Trick. Basically, the first day was me, and I was, what, 9 a.m. or whatever. So I walked in, and I read, and Jill said, Jason, that was a kick-ass audition. And then she kind of got embarrassed. She said to Mark, she's like, oh, I'm sorry, am I, can I say that? And I was like, no, no, please, that's very nice. Of you. you usually don't get that very often. Um, so, you, you you know, those golden nuggets you keep with you every once in a while. But um but she's like, great, thank you for coming in. I was like, okay, cool. And I left. And then I got a call back. And then um, it went from that to like, oh, man, I kind of, I really want to kind of get this now. I, I, I went there not thinking I was really going to, I was trying to like figure it out, think about it. And when I tested, um, there was a handful of guys that I tested opposite with. And then um, that was on a Friday. And then Mark and Jill came out after my read and they said, uh, you know, you're not going to know anything over the weekend. So just enjoy your weekend and we'll talk to you on Monday. And I was like, cool, great. Felt pretty good about it, you know? And I was just like, that was very nice of them to say. Went and spent the weekend. I got a call on Monday that I got it. And, um, and one of the other guys, Tyler Christopher, broke his arm that following weekend. 
And one of the guys that I tested opposite ended up filling in for him. So the very first day that I show up is Patrick Drake. The other guy that I'm testing with was in the hallway as well. And I was like, oh my God, the test isn't over. Like they're just, <laughs> they're going to like this guy and I'm going to be out. They're going to just be like, oh, we made a mistake. And so he was there for like a couple of weeks and I'm like, oh God, this is horrific. Um, and I, I got onto the stage and Jill, um, you know, basically said to me, she's like, welcome. You got, you got 13 weeks because that was really like your cycle. And, um, and I was like, got it. Cool. Good to know. And then, you know, just hit the ground running and started working with the incredible Kimberly McCullough, who's still a dear friend. And, and, you know, we had a good run with like Springfield there in the beginning and, you know, you got your Alan Quartermains and, and those people were around and it was it was pretty incredible. You know, not to mention like Steve and Mo and, and you know Laura was there and so it was Tony was there. So it was a really great group of people for me to come in on, you know. So so yeah, um lucky me. Do you think you had any idea at all when you signed that first contract, you know, just what a monumental step it would be in your career? No, I did not at all. Um, I remember Teshner coming in and saying that, you know, Rick Springfield, do you know Rick Springfield? This is before I'm about to go walk upstairs to go test. And he's like, do you know Rick Springfield? I'm like, yeah, of course I do. And he's like, well, he plays your dad. I'm like, oh, really? Oh, that's very interesting. Five minutes before I'm about to go try and get the part. Now I'm like, okay, cool. So look, yeah, I kind of look like Rick Springfield. It, it, it helps. Right. Like, I mean, that's what we do in this business. Like sometimes you're on the good end of that. Sometimes you're not. Sometimes you're great for it and it just doesn't fit. So, yeah, it's very you never really know where it's going to go. And now, no, I didn't really know what was headed for me. Um, I was a pretty I mean, young when I think about it. I felt like I was doing it for a good seven years before I really had anything. Um, and so, you know, when it's like getting close to kind of like throwing the towel kind of thing, you, you start to think about it. And then this was an amazing opportunity. I was like, all right, cool. I'm, I'm going to just, you know, take everything I possibly can out of this. Um, and then there was times where I was, you know, doing a couple other projects in between. Um, and then, um, you know, a contract comes here and there. And then, you know, so then it, I was looking at maybe changing it up for a while there and, and um, I stayed and it was great. And then after 10 years of being at GH, you know, then I had to make a different choice. But um, but I didn't really know what I was heading into. But I knew that it was I wanted to work. I wanted to work as an actor. I wanted to really try and get better, um, you know, and I, I just looked at it as an opportunity. And even just having people like, you know, Kimberly in your life like that, like she was a veteran at the same, you know, she's pretty close to my age. She's younger than me, but she's a veteran at eight. 22 23 years old so for me to work with somebody like that you know was a really amazing thing uh, looking back what were the biggest challenges of this genre when you first got into it biggest challenges were probably we were really starting to speed up a lot more um we were we were starting to go faster on set um then this whole digital thing started to change and people didn't know what streaming was we didn't know if we were going to end up on like the internet on a little shitty computer you know like we didn't know what was going to happen um things were changing a couple shows that got canceled um you didn't know if you were next um but the ability to adapt was always there um the storytelling was always there and when you have committed people and you know a great group of, of uh, a team a crew you still continue to tell stories and i think that's what soaps have always done you know there's no other way to get to the history that they have if you don't do that stuff correctly 
And, you know, you got to be able to adapt. And that's what they've done. But there's been a, a ton of changes in 17 years of this genre, you know, from, I mean, look at where we are now, streaming and everything. You got days going full streaming. So sometimes what you're scared about turns out to be one of the best things for, for you, you know? So that's kind of, when I look back on it, there's a lot of things that have changed, but, um, but we still do what we do and we do it well. What advice, you know, now with 17 years of experience under your belt, do you give to actors who are first coming into the genre that you work alongside, like a Michael Mailer, for instance? I say, be brave. I say, don't be scared to, to make mistakes or to try new things or to allow yourself to like, you know, explore a little bit more. Um, and, um, and have the courage to do that and continue to lead an interesting life outside of, of this work. Because if you don't lead an interesting life, your characters aren't going to be very interesting either. Mm-hmm. So those are probably the two kind of things. And just, you know, overall, be professional and be prepared. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think enough actors understand that being prepared or professional equals freedom. And um, and that's what you really what you want it. You want to feel like when you're on set, when you're prepared, you're, you're free. You can be emotionally free, physically free, free to take notes because you know it and you're prepared. So that's probably one of the most important things. But, you know, all of that, be brave, be prepared and, um, you know, lead an interesting life outside of work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and now you mentioned Kimberly. Let's go a little deeper into the Patrick Robin pairing, which GH really struck gold with. Now, when you look back, why do you think Scrubs was as successful as it was? And, um, you know, was it the story, the chemistry between you and Kimberly? Like, what do you think appealed to the audience so much? Yeah, honestly, with a little bit of perspective, I think it's all those things, you know. Um, I think for doing this for the amount of time that I have, and uh, I, you know, chemistry has a pretty important role in this. Um, and, and that can come in a lot of different forms, of course. But when you've got the support of a writing team and a producing team, and you, you they click in, and a network, of course, that they click in that there's something there, you got to have the courage to ride that out, you know, and to really kind of lean into it because it, it can take you in places that you didn't expect. And that's really exciting. And that's honestly what I think we do well. Like, as an actor, I like to know where I'm going um, so I can try and plot it personally and emotionally for myself as I go. Um, that's how I like to, to work. It allows me to be emotionally connected to what's happening in this moment, not thinking too far ahead, but also being able to craft it a little bit. And so when you do that with somebody else that works that well, like that way, and Kimberly was more that that method kind of way of like being, she's very, very great at being in the moment, but she knows direction clearly because of her new career. She knew where to, where to be emotionally in scenes and how to tell story. And so I learned a lot of that from her. And then you had guys like Maurice who were, you know, taking it pretty serious and bless him, you know, at, at, and, and it wasn't easy work for him. Um, but I appreciated so much of what he brought in that kind of way. And then you had a guy like Tony that was kind of the master of both, you know, like he really knew how to tell story and, and allow Luke to be big, but also extremely emotionally connected to his work. So when you have people around like that and you see and you get good writing, it works. And I think that's when you have like the history that Kimberly had and the reality of her character and the HIV storyline. I mean, it's just it hits at the right time. And um, and I mean, not to, it's not it's not about me. There's so many other things that have to happen in order for that to work. 
But I feel like I can look back at that constructively and say that I was a successful pairing at a great time in the history of that show. Like that was a nice moment that that show had. So it's cool. You know, you, you've said before to digest that, that you feel like sometimes chemistry is just naturally there between actors and sometimes you have to work for it. I'm curious what it is that you think you as an actor can do to, um, to build chemistry or enhance chemistry that maybe needs a little helping along. Well, you can, you can, you can be very interested in the person you can, you can, do what you can to become interested in, in your partner. Um, and there's a lot of ways to go about that. You can connect from, from you know, it depends. Obviously, you know, there's there's different rules nowadays for things too. Like <laughs> in, in a certain way, like there's distance we have now, you know, but at the same time, you can become interested in the human being that you're working with. And I think that that can, in a lot of ways, you will find a lot of similarities if you're open. And, and there's there's a certain amount of trust there. And you can build chemistry that way. You, you'd be very surprised how what you can what you can kind of um, you know emotionally come together on. Maybe it's having a kid, or maybe it's um, the loss of a parent, or or you know growing up at a certain time, or love of a sport. And there's certain ways that you can do that. You just have to be interested. You know, it's kind of like giving giving advice to younger actors or whatever. Um, you know, I was in an amazing acting class for years with this woman called Sharon Chatton, and that's what she talked about. She talked about just being interested in life. And so not all the time is it there. Um, sometimes it's in- incredibly natural, and it's just there, and it feels good, and you can allow that to just be there. You don't have to dissect it. You can just let it be there. And then sometimes you got to try and build it. Um and, um, you know, and then I think it can be interesting as well if you can bring that into the character, because if it is a new relationship, you can use some of that kind of intrigue and then it can build like cohesively in a way, you know. So, again, that goes back to just kind of having some experience and understanding story. It's about when you can take your personal life and, and bring it into the story is really where it starts to connect with you. Mm-hmm. Um, now, do you have any favorite moments specifically from the Patrick Robin relationship? I mean, there's many. There's really, there's a lot. You know, there was um, obviously the AIDS, the, the HIV storyline that we had where, where Patrick got pricked with the pin or the, sorry, with the needle. That was pretty great. Um, it was the coming together. Then it was them, you know, uh, deciding to do, to have the, to have Emma together and become a family. Um there's so many. There was there was a lot there. I remember small little scenes that like there's the one scene where Robin was pregnant and I tell her a joke and I'm videoing her reaction so Emma can have videotapes. So there was all those little like personal moments that I that, like remember incredibly clear. Not big story points, but just little moments. Um, yeah, there was a lot. Well, out of the Patrick Robin relationship was born quite literally one of the most darling father-daughter relationships ever on soaps. Fight me on that, uh, which was, of course, between Patrick and his cutie pie of a little girl, Emma, who was played by Brooklyn Ray Seltzer. Um, what stands out to you when you think about the years that you spent working with that cutie pie? Uh, just again, just incredibly lucky to get uh, an opportunity to do that. She was, um, we had a couple, we had a couple as they grew up and, uh, you know, when <laughs> she came in, it was just instant, you know, it, it's, it's chemistry again in, in any sort of way. It's just like, she was a, um, a sweet, smart, kind little five-year-old. And it blows my mind now because I got a six and a five-year-old and it's like, 
to think about that is, is hilarious, but she's got great parents and they were really kind. And, and, um, and I think again, back to kind of identifying when you've got something, you know, you can't, you can't, you can't know you have that little actress when you cast, you know, that character in that moment, you know, for the first three weeks, I don't think she said a word, like you don't know what you have there, but it starts to show you and, and you have the courage to follow it. It's what happens, you know, that's kind of like, when when you when you when you're trying to you know really take in the the atmosphere and the process of it because not only did it like it worked on a screen level it worked with us personally she was very sweet you know her parents were great I was able to really like we had a lot of trust so we were able to talk about things to get to get like to build on our chemistry but to also like you know you also had Kimberly who had been in that position so she knew kind of how to talk to her in a way that was supportive. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and, and a change in culture as well, because the, the culture that Kimberly grew up in was totally different. Like, that was some wild 80s, the stories are true kind of sets. <laughs> Ours were different, you know, there was, it was just a different time. So, um, so she was really supported. Um, and then you just had an incredible little actress in there. It makes me emotional to think about it because just, we were able to go to some really amazing places together. So it was yeah. cool. Well, I have to say, I just recently rewatched uh, clips of the soaptastic wedding of Patrick and Sabrina, which right, was the wedding. Yeah, yeah, famously, totally. famously yeah. interrupted by Robin's return from the dead. Emma running into her mommy's arms and Sabrina right. collapsing in Felix's arms when her groom runs into the arms of his true love. Uh, one thing that really stood out to me is how freaking fabulous you were. Uh, do you have any specific memories of shooting that uh, episode? I have one very specific memory. It was when Patrick turns around and notices Robin there. And that whole like shot of him walking down the aisle, we did it once. And then Frank came out and he's like, you know, beautiful. Um, he's like, and I think he's like, I think we got to do it again. I'm so sorry. I'm like, sorry for what? This is the best thing in the world. I get to do it again. Like, it's amazing. It's <laughs> like, I wasn't, yeah, I mean, that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to have to do this five, six, seven times. The fact that we do it once is ridiculous. <laughs> it's kind of, that is the weird thing. It's not the fact that you're asking me to do it again. This is what you train for to be in these moments. You know how iconic this is. Like, if you don't, you're not giving it the amount of energy that it needs, you know? So you, sometimes they come out of the blue. Sometimes you know that this is one of those things. So, um, yeah, so that's that's a very specific moment, yeah. I love that. <laughs> well, in late 2015, you made the decision to say goodbye to GH after a 10-year run, and soon enough, you were setting up shop in Genoa City. So obviously, at that point, you had a lot of daytime experience, and not for nothing, several daytime Emmy nominations under your belt. Did you have any butterflies in your stomach or any nerves about, like, what if this doesn't work? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, very big ones. Um yeah, it was an interesting story. Uh, you know, I was in I was in Italy at the time with with my wife, my my now wife. It was our honeymoon, um, and we were uh, in Rome at the time when I was, you know, I told General Hospital that I was going to move on, and it was probably a couple month process of going through all of the actions and everything else. Um, you know, just ready to kind of do something different. It was ten years, and I just needed to know if I could do it. Still, I didn't know if I could even do something different. I know it's 
it's a little bit of a lateral move to say to go from General Hospital to, to YNR, but Billy's a pretty different character. Um, it's you know it's a different set, it's a different setup. It's getting a little uncomfortable again. But I needed to just I needed to change it up personally and emotionally for myself and my wife. We just got married. We were on our honeymoon, and that's you know I. I didn't know where I was going yet exactly. I, they're late, very late in this process. Um, I, you know, I maybe thought about coming over to to YNR, but I didn't know anything about it yet. So it was like it was a little bit daunting. Um, we got home. Uh, we found out that we were pregnant from that trip. Life <laughs> life changing trip in many many ways. Um, and then um, and then the reality hit of like, oh, my God, am I still leaving? What are we doing? Like, what? Uh, I'm leaving a job. I don't know if I'm going to work again. I don't know if it's going to work. So um, but we did. We um, we did. And uh, yeah, it was great. I had the opportunity to come over to YNR. I met with Jill, um, you know, not to go too much out of school. But like she just basically said, there's only a couple people that know that we're talking. And um, one of them is. Angelica and one of them is Steve Kent, who, who runs Sony, and Angelica was running CBS at the time. And they know that we're talking and they, you know, we want to bring you on board. So I was like, wow, okay, what does this mean? I didn't know. I didn't know it was even Billy at this time. I thought it was for a different character. So in their mind, they were thinking that they were going to bring me in for Billy. And I didn't know that. I thought I was coming in as a new character. So then, this is pretty funny, but then I get a call from Steve Burton and he's like, yo, what are you thinking? I'm like, I don't know, man. I, I you know, I'm just kind of taking it all in. He's like, well, let me tell you, it's a great group of people. Um, you know, it's a legacy character. I'm like, what do you, what do you mean it's a legacy character? <laughs> like, well, I mean, you know, he's been around a long time. He's, he's an avid. And I was like, I don't, what are you talking about? He's like, well, they want you for Billy Abbott. I'm like, what? I'm like, I didn't know that. And he's like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I was supposed to tell you that or not. I thought you knew that. And I was like, no, I did not know that, Steve. Thank you very much. I appreciate you telling me, though, because now I can actually know what I'm getting into. So, again, it was another like, wow, okay, what does this mean? Because, you know, it's a whole another pass that I got thrown. Um, so, yeah, so I just remember it with fondness. I remember just the time that we were open for change, you know, as a family. And uh, and it was good. And so we said yes, and I had a couple weeks. Uh, General Hospital asked me to stick around and continue to kind of finish the show, finish a story arc, which was amazing. It was so nice to have that time with everyone there. I spent 10 years there. And then I had about a week and a half off. And in that time, I was just, you know, hitting up the writers with questions and asking where, what, all this kind of stuff. How is he this? What is this? What does this mean? Everything else. And then um, I came in and... And met everybody and it was um uh, just uh you know just i just i feel just really genuinely lucky and, and fortunate to be in that position because it's a great group of people and uh they have been from day one so it's it was it was a pretty interesting kind of transition but the day that i arrived it felt right and and i was really excited about earning earning the opportunity to continue to play this character and you know, to do it justice, there's some good actors that have played this guy and brought him to life. And, uh, you know, one of them was Billy Miller, of course. And so when I was working with him at GH and we talked about it a little bit, kind of near the end of me leaving there. And um, I knew the pressure. I, I you know, I, I was at times hoping, praying that it was working. And then most of the time just getting to work and, and doing the job. So I, it's, it was a fun, fun, fun memory for sure. And here we are seven years later. But. <laughs> I think that, um, that 
one of the stories that really put you as Billy on the map and your Billy on the map was the was the affair between Billy and Phyllis, uh, who at the time was played by Gina Tognoni. Um, you know, what are, what are your standout memories of that story and working with her? Yeah. I mean, you know, again, you just never really know what you got sometimes. And I feel like we kind of had something there. Um, uh, you kind of, you find the the right story and the right person and the right people. And, and, you know, and you can't talk about that affair without talking about Peter either. You know, I mean, he was integral uh, in that, that storyline. You know, he had to, as a person, you know, obviously know that it's happening, but stay, stay dumbfounded in his innocence um, of it, you know, um, and you need that in order to make the other thing work. You need, you need that. It's like, um, and, and it's, it becomes part of the energy of, of when those two, when Billy and Phyllis are together, Jack's energy is in there and you need that in order to percolate the story. Um, so it's, it's a commitment from everyone to make it work. Um, but again, an amazing actress, a, a beautiful person, um, committed. We talked for hours about scenes, about what it means, about how it affects them, um, which is really the fun stuff. That's where you get to explore and try, you know, bring different levels to it and let the writing kind of speak for itself, but you bring the human to it and, and how, you know, what is it, how does it make us feel personally? And, and so it was, it was just a fun time and, and a committed relationship from, I think from, you know, I think a little bit surprised. I know that Joe and, and Chuck at the time were like pleasantly surprised that it was, it seemed to be working. Um, and then you also had the courage of them to continue to write it and, and know that, uh, you know, it was a new step for Billy. And so for me as an actor, it was a really great opportunity to, to do something that I'm not playing too much history on. It can become my experience, you know, because you're, you're, you're weighted with the, the, um, the life-changing moments that happened prior, like Delia, like those have been played out in a different way, which is amazing that we can still carry on those stories and it can still mean as much to this Billy as it did the other ones. Um, and that, those are incredibly important to nurture and, and, you know, to really pay a lot of attention to because of the story and the character, but also being able to have the opportunity to do something new and take the character in a different way um, was, was something I was really excited about. Mm-hmm. Well, there were a lot of obstacles in the way of Phyllis and Billy's happiness, including his gambling and his connection to his ex-wife, Victoria. So tell us about working with Amelia Heinley. I mean, just like the, the, she's so fun. She's so great. She's so smiley and giggly and she's always laughing. And she's such a great actress, Um, committed mother. um, You know, she's just, she's a really you see a leader when you when you come when you come across them, and she is that. She really she leads in a different way. You know, there's everybody loves her here. She's great on set. The crew loves her. She's always joyful, um, and you know, she's she's a leader in that way, and it's great and it's wonderful to see. And she's like I said, such a great actress that we've had some really fun story, and um, and of course Victoria and Billy have you know, pretty incredible history. And I'm only a part of that as far as me playing this character. So again, you go back to like honoring that relationship and trying to under, continuing to try and understand it. Um, sometimes things come up that I'm like, oh, what, what, what was that? What is that memory? Tell me, tell me what happened. Cause I don't know all of it. Um, so it's still these little awesome nuggets that get to kind of further layer the relationship. Um, you know, 
Billy and Victoria will always be there. That's that's the beauty of of two characters that um, being able to play them over a long run. You know, you get to really see these these lives evolve. And so that's a really important relationship. You know, it's where the Abbots and the Newman kind of mix as well with a couple other characters. But it's um it's a good it's a good it's a good pairing for a lot of ways in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Well, as we continue to sort of walk down Billy memory lane with you, Jason, I think it's safe to say that uh, Billy's psychological problems were a big source of storyline on YNR in 2019, which leads to you winning an Emmy in 2020. Um, long overdue, in my opinion, for Outstanding Lead Actor. Now, the ceremony was not held in person that year due to the pandemic, but I'm sure it was still a very memorable and significant evening for you. Tell us about that night as you look back on it now. Yeah, again, you know, you have different perspectives with time. Um, incredibly grateful again to, to have the trust of, of writers and the courage to do something different and not really know if it was going to work. And then, you know, and then really great communication. I think whenever I really land on a good storyline, it, it's really the catalyst of all of it. The conduit is the between everyone is the, is the communication. When you have good communication, in my opinion, between actors, between Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Directors and the writers and everything, you um, you end up becoming on the same page. And, um, and so, again, that means more freedom, in my opinion, because there's more preparation, which is great. So that's what I had. I had a lot of fun. And I, I just it was another one of those times. It's like, I don't know where this is going. I'm not going to say no to it, though. You know, I, I don't know if my character would do this or not. You know, we hear a lot of that. And, and I get it. I understand the sentiment between I'm not sure if my character would do this, but I, I don't know if he would or not. I don't know how far he could go. So for me, that's a fun place to, to explore. Um, it keeps me interested as well. And if I'm interested, then at least maybe for some people, Billy will be interested, you know? So, um, and then getting the nomination, you know, was, I, I don't take it for granted. It's amazing. I, I, I enjoy it. I like the process. Not everybody does. Not all actors like the process of thinking about it as a competition or anything like that. But I do. I, I, I kind of, if I'm being honest, I, I it, it continues to drive me to, to want to try and excel as, as much as I can go. And that's not the only barometer for it, clearly. You know, some of the best actors in any genre have never won anything. And it's not necessarily about that, but it does, it's something that I use to try and continue to evolve and, and push myself. So 
you know, you grow up and you think maybe if you ever get the opportunity, you get to stand in front of everyone dressed nicely and to thank all your peers and your parents and everyone, all your loved ones and your castmates and everything. Um, and that didn't happen. So <laughs> I was in the living room of, of our house during lockdown with my family and one family member watching it on the computer um, with my kids watching a cartoon in the background and um, with uh, a speech that was recorded about four days prior. It was a trip. It was an absolute trip. And then you kind of hear your name and you're not sure. And then it was like, oh, wow, that just happened. And then they roll your acceptance speech and then you're kind of, uh, and you're, I was on the phone for the next couple hours after that, doing a couple of interviews, talking to my family, you know, shooting some texts back and forth. Uh, kids went back to watching their cartoon and we had a drink and, um, you know, was in bed not that long after that. And then didn't get to go back to work after that. Didn't get to see everybody, congratulate other winners, hug the team, say, you know, great, thank you for this, but let's go next year, you know, and that's, and so I feel like I, I like to look at things. Um, and then it arrives on your doorstep and I just uh, open it up, not knowing what was in there. And I'm like, oh, here's my Hemi. <laughs> so it was, it was an interesting experience, you know, and it's not how you, you dream it up, but it's what happened. And there's beauty there and there's a different experience there. And um, so I just accepted it for the way that it went and looking back at it, incredible. Like, when has that happened in history? Like, I don't think that happens very often, you know, and the whole telecast and we were in unprecedented times and we didn't know what was going on. And so you roll with it and you just kind of adapt. So that's what we did, but heck of an experience and a memory for sure. Yeah. Well, where's your Emmy now? It's, um, it's funny you should ask that because uh, this morning and last night, my son and I were playing basketball and he had a little plastic like tin cup and he brought my Emmy out as the two trophies <laughs> and you had to win the little one first. And then and if you won that basketball game, you won the big World Cup, he called it. <laughs> so um, he won the World Cup. So it's actually sitting on, he, you, we use it. It's <laughs> you, They play with it. I'm like, they try to be careful with it, but it, it gets moved around a little bit and, and brought into the mix. So, which I think is great. You know, I think it's, it's um, you know, it's, it continues to have an experience, not just sitting up there. And I, I understand that too, because most of the time it does sit there. But yeah, funny you should ask because we were playing with it last night and this morning. So funny. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Well, um, you know, Billy wrestling with the loss of, of Delia, his anger toward Adam, that was also, you know, a big a big thrust of that yeah. winning work. So um, tell us about working with Mark Grossman, who plays Adam. Great guy. Really, really, you know, you, you, you find him every once in a while and he's a found, he's a found valuable member to this team. Now I, I really believe that he's got not only the chops, but he's a hard worker and, um, and people really like him. Um, and he's got, he, he's got an edge to him, which Adam needs. And, um, you know, I, I didn't get to work with Justin very, very much at all. Not for very long before he went to, this is us, but we had a, you know, a nice rapport. Um, and, uh, and he still is an awesome guy that reaches out, um, you know, a little bit of a side story. And I'll get back to Mark in a second, but even when we were doing this, um, the, uh, Chelsea storyline, he reached out and said, man, I'm catching up on YNR and just like beautiful work, you know, really great. And, uh, so that's the kind of guy that he is. So you're not surprised by his success either, because you get a guy like that and you get a talented actor that has, you know, the brains, you see him go on, um, 
So when you're lucky enough to fill that role with a guy like Mark, uh, you're you're just happy. You're you're stoked because he loves to play. He works really hard. He's a really great actor. I, I really like what he does. Um, I can see how he can grow into um, a more you know Victor-like character in a way. I see the opportunity there and the potential. So it's great. Um, you know, it's um, I, I really enjoy working with him. I think we, we, we personally get off on it as well. You know, we, we talk about the opportunity ahead about the past, about the history and then the future of the show. Like what can we do to, to bring these characters, you know, to make sure that we continue to grow. Um, um, and he's down for those conversations too. So when you're working with people like that, it's always fun. Mm-hmm. Well, in 2020, Billy left Chabot. He and Lily got to work on the Chancellor Media Division and the Billy-Lily connection began to blossom. So what do you think made Lily the right partner for Billy at that stage in his life? And tell us about working with Crystal Khalil, who plays Lily. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I. So, I mean, the character wise, you know, Billy had been through quite a bit. You know, he had some pretty dark days there for a while. Um you know, and there's there's also a realization of just like there's a, there's there's still an addict in Billy in a way, and um, and his mother is trying to help him out. So when you get when you get him in this position, and you've got someone that has lived a life that has really had a fair share of struggles over the last handful of years, that like Lily has, you know, going to jail and and her breakup of her marriage and the reality of all those things and her coming out of it, and this is you know. Uh, Pat on the back to, to Crystal, too. She really carried herself coming out of those storylines like a woman that had been through some stuff. You know, she learned some things about herself. And Crystal is that way. She's a seeker of that kind of knowledge. And so you had someone that came into his life that, like, took up some space. She was she was her own person. And I think he really admired that about her. And because of, I think, some of her struggles, she really accepted him for who he was in the moment that he was in. And that's important because, you know, things he had been through, some stuff. So in order to see a person in front of you and not too far down the line, but to also accept that history is is not easy to do. And I feel like Lily really did that with Billy. So when you have that and you have, again, like kind of a a certain chemistry with the person and a, a fondness for the person as a person, it's you can bring that into the relationship. And I felt like we were we were able to be very natural with each other pretty early on, which which is which is really great because you can just kind of again, you can have that freedom within the character. You have the trust. And as that relationship grew, I mean, one of the things I think about is that we grew that relationship through COVID six feet apart the entire time. Yeah. We didn't kiss, we didn't do anything. We weren't within six feet of each other for the first year and a half of that relationship. So that was a challenge. And we looked at it as a challenge. Like, how do we build this relationship from this distance? You know, there's no intimacy whatsoever. It's got to be different. You got to build this. We got to build the intimacy differently than we would, you know, usually do, especially as soap opera. You know, they, they, you're you're together like that. And you're you're showing your relationship like that. We couldn't do that. So so there was a lot of work. But um Crystal is a person, she's, she's one of my favorites, um, good, good person, incredible, you know, majority of her life, single mother that has been through it, that, that has um, started as a young professional actor and, and grew into like a beautiful person that is really talented. Crystal is a really good actress. And, um, and so, uh, you know, on a personal level, I, I've enjoyed every minute of it. I 
really enjoyed the character. I, I personally think there's a hell of a long runway with them. I think that that could go places. Um, and something that we could either continue to grow or go back to at a certain point. But I, I think that we, we built a pretty, a, a good foundation there between the, those two characters. Um, and not too much love loss in a way, you know? So there's still some, some respect there, which is also not the usual. Uh, but, you know, Crystal's a person, great, lover, one of my favorites. And, and I think the characters, too, they work well together. Well, speaking of no love lost, over the years, there has been very little love lost between Victor and Billy. <laughs> but tell us about uh, working with uh, Eric Braden, who plays Victor. Oh, man. So there's two actors that I've worked with that have something that you as a young actor or an older actor want. And the first actor, I remember seeing it in person, was with Billy D. Williams when we did Night Shift. Mm -hmm. He didn't do anything. And it, it, was, it was so apparent to me watching him that he, he was just there and he didn't do anything. And, and Eric is similar to that. And some of that is a cultivating of a character over time. Some of that is a smart man that, that knew how to build story, that learned, that gained the trust of, a, of, a, of a executives and, and to be able to craft. Um, so some of that is a little bit of like nurture and nature in a way, um, as a personality would be built, but also incredibly talented. I mean, Eric's, Eric's a wonderful actor. I, I really do love working with him. I don't really know what's going to happen, um, which which is which is great. Again, it goes back to having that freedom to be able to just be there and allow it to go where it might go and not construct it, not hold it, you know, between the guardrails all the time. Sometimes we have to, but I, I love working with him because he's a guy when he's sitting there, he doesn't, sometimes you're like, he's not doing anything and he, and it's, and it's everything. And it can be kind of frustrating because he's like, Oh, he's so good at doing nothing. He has an ability to put the scene on his time. And, and that's a character thing as well. And it's something that I really admire. And Billy D. Williams used to do that too. He would put the scene on, on his time. And, uh, and Eric does that. Mm -hmm. Um, now, 2022 was the year of the podcast for Billy, as we've already discussed, but um, it brought Chelsea more into his orbit and their connection has been the focus of so much story in recent months. So what has it been like to work more with Melissa Claire Egan? A wonderful, again, such an accomplished actress, you know, and someone that's been in the business for a long time, someone that knows how to, how to, how to tell stories, someone that knows where her wheelhouse is and then, and, you know, is ready to go there. And um, what she did with this storyline, this you know, the last couple months here, it was absolutely beautiful. She she was there, she was available, and she really crafted something. And of course, it doesn't take one person. The writing has to be there. The directors worked very, very hard on some of the most integral moments of the last couple months, storyline wise, you know. Um, and everyone was in on it. And um, but Missy was the one that everything was filtering through, and it was. It's beautiful. She did such a great job. She made my job so easy. Talk about just trying to be there for someone and looking into the eyes and suspending belief and just putting yourself there. How difficult would this be? You know? Um, so that's fun. It's amazing to be able to do that. She's, she's been incredible. And again, another young mother that, um, that has had her struggles in that world and just loves it. We talk about that a lot, you know, um, you continue to build and find little things about a person that you really love. Um, there's so much to love about her. 
So it was, um, it's been really, really fun working with her. You know, if I asked more interesting questions on the podcast, maybe I'd still be doing it. Maybe we, this is what we, you know, I, I, I felt like we could have, we could have had some of those characters in on that podcast. I could have talked to, I could have talked to Victor like this and be like, what were you thinking when you, you know, when you did this, when you did that, that would have been fun. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Um, but anyway, yeah, it was um, another another great opportunity. You don't know. And, and, you know, that was a challenge sitting in that room, your, your little booth by yourself and then having no one there trying to speak to an outside audience. I mean, you know what it's like, but it was it was an interesting time to do those podcasts as well. Um, I, I enjoyed it. Um, so uh, the emotional apex, you know, thus far, I would say, between Billy and Chelsea happened in those pivotal scenes on the roof. Um, what stands out to you about the experience of shooting those with Missy? I, I think just um, the, vulnerable, the, the, the vulnerability of, of the storyline, how precious it, it, it was, is how important it was and, and still continues to be, how topical it is, how kind of serious it is. Um, um, you know, again, you kind of think of it from an emotional place, how scary it would be. So when you take all those things and you you realize what you have to put in the stew in a way in order to make it work, because it is delicate, you know? Um, the writers and and, um, and and specifically Josh and, and Missy, they, they talked a lot about just um, making sure they did it with respect and, and honesty. And they really did. I think that there's some really beautiful moments there. I. You know, there's two times in my 17 years now where my social media took the blast that it did on a day. And the only other time that it was like that was when Robin and Patrick at, at the wedding. That when my phone kind of blew up. And then the day it was when, when, Robin, when Robin died in the explosion. That was like just, you know, social media. But social media wasn't even as quite as big as it is now. But this was another one, but it was different because people were really reaching out and commenting on the work itself, but also just being incredibly vulnerable to the reality of the story that we were telling. And, you know, some of the tweets and, and, and the messages that you get are just, you know, this is my life. I it's, it's difficult. I don't know what to do to I got help to, you know, my family member like it was it was um I had to kind of prepare myself to open up my social media in those days just to try and take stock of, of the moments in a way and just be, you know, prepared for what I might read. Because you can, you can come across some pretty serious things there of people maybe even reaching out to you and you don't know. Um, so there was some moments there was like, wow. And then, you know, Missy would be like, gosh, I, did you see that one? I was like, yeah, that's, you know, hard, hard times, you know? Um, so when you take all of that in, I remember the night that uh, we shot that Missy was standing on the ledge. Everybody was in. It was, you could hear a pin drop when we were shooting. Steven, our director on the day, lighting crew, camera crew, everybody was just there. And when we took the second to break, we exhaled, we released a little bit. We kind of, producers would come out, we'd talk, we'd take five, you know, loosen up a little bit. And then it was back down the hatches again. I think everybody was on board for it. So again, you don't always get those opportunities, but when doing it for long enough, as Missy has as well, and most of our crew, you realize when it's time to kind of buckle down and, and tell the story, you know, and, and just to be there and open and honest as you possibly can. So um, the best, the best of it. That's what we do the best, I think, is stuff like that. 
Well, we've seen uh, over the course, course of this storyline, Billy and Chelsea forging a new kind of emotional connection and that <clears throat> presenting some tension in the Lily-Billy connection. And I think, um, you know, the notion of a romantic pairing between Billy and Chelsea is challenging for some viewers because of how they first came into each other's lives, because of what she did to him in Myanmar and after. What is your take on that and, and whether there could ever be, you know, a truly healthy relationship between Billy and Chelsea? Yeah, I mean, it's tough. It's it's tough because there's a lot of it's even difficult for me to speak on because it's like it's so it's it's so delicate. You're talking about, you know, some pretty sensitive storyline points that people take very serious because they have personal personal stories that are being kind of reflected upon and, and brought to the surface again. It can be very, very triggering for people. Um, so you got to be delicate. you got to be careful. Um, I think you also have to try and mix in a little bit of that, bit of that spend belief and just kind of tell a story. And, and, you know, maybe if you're lucky, give, give something for someone to believe it, but it's not going to work for everyone. You know, it's not going to work for hundred percent of the audience. It's whether it's, whether it doesn't necessarily work from a, a, a um, how do I say, um, you know, from a story standpoint, or from a personal standpoint, or from just like someone else's personal history, it doesn't work for them. Um, you're not gonna, you're not gonna hit a home run, you know. And not everybody's gonna connect to the storyline, so it's tough. You gotta look at the odds sometimes and be like, you know, is this a positive direction to go to? Taking in all everything, saying that, yeah, you you've got to give it some time to be explored. You 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 got to be careful not to rush things, you know. You got to tell. The story but can you believe in in love yeah absolutely and it can come from some pretty you know dark places sometimes but if we lose that belief and and, and, and the opportunity for redemption in a way and forgiveness then you're missing out on a lot of true story and 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 you know the fantasy of it is okay we can we can we can do that still you know it's not all documentary it, 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 we still have to be able to you know, tell the story a little bit and, and have something to kind of, you know, get behind. But you also, our listeners are savvy. They're an intelligent viewer now more so because story has gotten better and they can get story from completely different channels and HBO tells beautiful story and you kind of want your story to be as good as that story. And so you got to raise the bar still because they're not, there's not five channels on anymore. There's a lot of different TV out there. So they're a sophisticated audience. So I think that if, if we're not raising our bar to the sophistication of understanding story and trying to continue to build good, thorough story and, and still, you know, can we get younger, newer viewers? I, I, I think you can when you're topical and when you reach them in the right ways. Um, it doesn't say you, you neglect people that have been there for four years. Of course not. We wouldn't be on the air without these audience members, but you have to continue to evolve and, and, um, and that can happen within the characters. And I definitely think that Billy and Chelsea could continue to evolve. And then who knows where you could get to, but you've got to be careful with it, you know? Absolutely. Um, well, we may see Billy struggle a lot with his professional identity, trying on different careers and job titles, but you recently added a new job to your own resume, which is beer entrepreneur. So tell uh, yeah. us about Rancho West Organic Beer. Yeah, so so yeah, Rancho West 
organic beer. Um, it's really just Rancho West beer that um, that we so it started about four years ago with my one of my best friends, Donnie. Um, we've done a couple projects together. We've worked on a couple documentaries together. We went to Russia together, working on a on a project. He ended up writing an incredible book called Dead Mountain about it, which is still selling. Uh, he's in I don't even have different languages. It's still doing really well. Um, uh, so so we worked together, and we were just you know really good friends for the last twenty six years. We met each other the first weekend that we both moved to Los Angeles. So I, I moved here on like a Tuesday, I think it was, and, and I did a job two days later, like some runway job, and I met this guy named Will, and I was in the corner kind of writing. I didn't know anybody. And he's like, hey, man, you write? And I was like, yeah, I write. He's like, yeah, I write too. It's like, cool, let's be friends. So then that weekend, he was hanging out with Donnie, who he knew from Florida and being around. He's like, come and hang out. We're going out this weekend. So then I came and that was on Saturday night. And I remember it like yesterday, we were having a couple of drinks at this party and Donnie's like, man, I usually don't like Canadians, but you're all right. And I was like, you're the only ass that's ever said that. Everybody likes like, who says you don't like Canadians? What, who, who do you think you are? I'm like, you know, but but he's a guy that is honest. He, he says things and sometimes like that didn't need to be said, but he's, he's already very he's said it. So, um, but we, we cultivated a relationship over time and we were both single and running around and and this was a time before before cell phones and before social media and before cameras everywhere. And so we were in our early 20s. He's a couple of years older than me, but um, but uh, we had a good time in L.A. for a very long time. And um, so when it when when the opportunity came up, we, we talked about it at lunches a couple of times and hanging out. It's like, man, this is a way we would go and have a beer. And it was like, I just want a good, clean, crisp beer. You know, they're harder to find. There's a lot. This was a time when like IPAs and a lot of different flavors and stouts and craft beer was booming. And it was like everything was craft beer. And I just hadn't I don't I didn't have the palate for it, to be honest. I wasn't that sophisticated in the beer business. I, I never really had like I really love food and I've grown to love wine and my palates evolved. But at the time, I just wanted a good, clean, crisp beer that my dad used to drink or that my grandfather used to drink. And we talked about that. So we started to evolve and it was more so like, okay, well, if we're going to do this, how do we do it to the cleanest, best of our ability? Because if we're thinking about the future, I don't want to just add another beer to an oversaturated market. We need to do it a new way. And, and by new, it's almost like we need to bring back beer the way it was done before the chemical revolution in a way. So we started to go down that path and we started to realize very quickly that that organic beer was kind of unheard of for a lot of reasons. It's very difficult to do. Only less than 1% of the American agriculture is organic. Barley and, and oats and things of that nature are one of the most sprayed agricultures in America for, for chemicals and pesticides and, and um, you know, Roundup and glycophyte. And at a certain level, obviously a diminished level, but that's stuff ends up in your food and we care more about what is in our food, but we never really thought about it. What's in your beer. And yes, it is alcohol. That is true. Um, so it's not like necessarily really great for you from the beginning, but at the same time, it can be done cleaner and better tasting and also cleaner from the soil standpoint. So our mission became very clear. How do we craft the cleanest, best tasting beer we can from soil all the way through to like your palate and your taste and your experience of it. So that became the catalyst for, for Rancho West. And then and we started, you know, living it and breathing it and designing it. And our wives, our partners with us, they have, you know, uh, they have contributed incredible things already. My wife has uh, 
a lingerie line, so she knows production from um, an apparel standpoint. So she works a lot with our apparel brand and like our merch side of things. Um, they bring taste. Donnie's wife, Julia, she's an artist as well. And we've been friends for a long time. So they bring a little bit more femininity to our brand, which I think is missing in the beer world. Um, and we find a lot of women are really enjoying our beer They're And they care a little bit more sometimes about what's going in their body, whatever. And, and not a judgment at all. It's just like, it's, this is what we want to do. And from an agricultural standpoint, um, you know, practicing regenerative agriculture is is our best way forward for agriculture as far as carbon sequestration, the health of the land and animals and, you know, the, the quality of our air, let alone the farmers that work these lands. They're not around all that stuff that is toxic for you. You know, there's so we're, we're trying to support a clean beer movement. And um, so that's the big picture of what we believe Rancho West is. And now we're trying to continue to tell that story and make it emotionally connect with people as well. And it's been really great. It's been wonderful. Um, we've been very fortunate to, you know, it took us four years to get here. Um, and, um, and now it's about building those relationships and we're having a really good time getting out there and continuing to tell our story. Um, and if the beer's not good, then it doesn't really matter. So, you know, I'm pretty stoked to say that the beer's fantastic too. So, uh, so it's, it's been fun. Well, that's awesome. And I definitely want to try some, um, yeah. all right. So you and Paloma have two cuties at home, Bowie, yeah. Rome. What are the Thompsons doing for the holiday season? My wife and my daughter are already in Australia. They left, they left last Wednesday. My wife is from Australia. Her mother um, lives in Sydney and her father lives in the Gold Coast area and, uh, and her extended family is more in the Gold Coast area. So we are on our way back to Australia. They've had a couple extra 10 days to hang out with, with Paloma's mother and, um, and Rome had never been there because she's four or she's, she's five, sorry. And uh, she, uh, we had COVID in the middle of all that. So she hadn't been to Australia yet. So they're having some mother-daughter time that they're really both enjoying. And I am. And you're having basketball tournaments. (laughs) And I'm having time with my son. You know, they're only roughly 15 months apart. So I haven't had this much time with just my son since he was six months a year old. And it's like getting to know another, another little human being that I, I, they, they are own, they are so connected. It's like these two tiny tornadoes that make a really big funnel cloud when they're ripping around the house. And, and it's amazing. It's incredible energy to watch, and, you know, but it's like, they're so intertwined. And they, again, they spent almost two years of COVID together as like three and four year olds, just like we were together all the time. We were camping together. We were going outside together. We were in the house together. Like they did everything. Um, so they really, they really became very, very close um, and left us in the dirt sometimes, like just in the dust. They do their own thing. So it's been really great to hang out with Bowie and just have time with him. And then even just like on an emotional, like, you know, um, psychological bandwidth kind of thing. I have a lot more patience for just one. It's great. (laughs) You know, it's like, it's been fun to just make food for him and hang out with him and be able to sit down and have dinner with just him or pick up and just have him in the car. We miss mom and our sister and his sister and, and like incredibly, like, he still almost cries every day, missing everyone, and they're so close that way. But uh, but it's been great. So long story short, we are on our way to Australia tomorrow, and we'll be there through the holidays. So, and it's also a time that Paloma is going to have all her family together. They they've never mixed in this way with our kids. So this is going to be her first Christmas with all of her her sisters and her brothers and and her you know her immediate family with us. So we're really looking forward to it. 
it's only the second time that I'm not going to be in Canada for Christmas. The only other time that I wasn't in Canada was when I moved to Milan, Italy. And I moved in November and I just couldn't come home for December. So that was the only other time that I haven't been home. So it's going to be weird and interesting. And I know it's probably a little bit difficult for my parents because it's going to be different, but, um, but we're looking forward to it. It's going to be good. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's, it sounds fun to me. Um, also, if you're yeah, there for right. the Sydney fireworks, because I feel like those are like the Australian fireworks are always like the biggest deal on New Year's Eve. Yeah. yeah, they are. And I think what the kids are most excited about, and it's just more so Bowie being Bowie, he's so stoked that Santa's like basically coming there first. Like he thinks that's just the coolest thing in the world, that he's going to have his gifts before even his friends are like going to sleep. Yeah, he's he so is. excited. He's, yeah, he's so excited about He's like, and we get our gifts first. <laughs> so in all the world santa's coming to us first he's like so excited about that i love that yeah. um, well before we let you go uh you know you're about to enter your eighth year as billy um what are your yeah. hopes for you know the coming year as uh we're set to hit 2023 uh you know honestly just continue to evolve in the character and um and and get lucky a little bit with some great story and you know continue to to evolve uh you know stay interested in the job um stay interested in billy stay interested in you know and excited about coming to work um if i can do that as a, as a person then i know that billy will have fun as well and that's important um so you know i think that he can go anywhere i i believe that this guy can zigzag all, all across the board and and i look forward to those opportunities um but you know, um, he's got a lot of work to do on himself, and I think that um, there's nowhere he can't go to try and you know figure things out if that's what he chooses to do. But it also doesn't mean that you know he might spiral trying to find it. It's just it's in his character to kind of <laughs> you know twist around a little bit. So we'll see. But um, looking forward, you just hope for more opportunity. You hope this the show stays healthy. Um, you hope you get support from the network. You hope that uh, people stick around and, and continue to be as committed as they as they are to the job as everyone else expects them to be. And you're going to have a good time. So, and the audience members to love it. You know, I mean, the truth is, honestly, and this goes to you, you two as well. This genre takes support from a lot of different angles. You know, it, it for a long time was magazines, and, and this helps support the genre and and you know reporters and, and talking about it. And, and the fans, they they keep this, they levitate this genre. And so if they're sticking around and they're getting entertained, there's really no reason for them to go anywhere else because we do something that nobody else does. We're, we're there every single day for them and we're reliable. And, and sometimes, you know, our society doesn't seem so reliable. And, uh, and I think that if we can continue to be there for people and keep them entertained, then we can keep doing this for a very long time. We, we have a formula that works. So... Thanks to the both of you for that as well, but uh, and also to the fans. It's like together we can continue to do it. Mm -hmm. Yes, and you will be uh, 50 years running, you know, as you hit 2023. Yeah, and I think if everything goes correctly, I'll be pretty close to 50 years old by the time this contract's done too. So it'll be uh, on a couple of milestones if we can yeah. continue to do what we do. <laughs> Well, very nice. Welcome to the club. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, it was so great to talk to you. Thank you for all the time you spent with us. Oh, I feel we more than made up for 2018. Yeah, and yeah sorry. Probably got a little long-winded on some of those, but it's it's fun to talk about. It. And I honestly, like, those are fantastic questions. Thank you for even being interested in, in going to those kind of levels. So it's, it's fun for me. So I appreciate it. 
Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Jason Thompson for being our guest. If you like this podcast, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to pick up a new issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast. 